You're listening to the Gonzo Star Wars Specials. I'm Alex Shaw. Episode 4, A New Hope. This is the fourth in a series of six episodes, each dealing with a Star Wars film. In the first three weeks, we did the prequel trilogy, so you should definitely go and listen to them first. They are a litany of hate. Joining me once more is my regular co-host, Neil Taylor from Game Burst. Hello, Neil. Hello. And along for the ride is Neil's partner in crime and host of that same show, James Batchelor. Hello. Now, this has actually been the hardest Star Wars film for me to write about because I have to look at it in retrospect of what came before, which was only eight decades of cinematic history, and what came after it, which has been three decades of influence. This is probably the most game-changing movie in the history of film. Doesn't make it the best. It's not even the best Star Wars movie. First up, you have to look at what came before, which is, let's face it, not much. So, gentlemen, for our first exercise, could you please list for me everything significant in the realm of fantasy and sci-fi adventure on the big screen that came before Star Wars? All the old um, Ray Harryhausen stuff, like Jason and the Argumentals, yep. uh, Clash of the Titans, etc. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, hang on, I think Clash of the Titans came a bit afterwards, because the owl was based on R2-D2. Oh, I did not know this. Uh, Flash Gordon. But we're going right back to, what, maybe 40s there, 50s? Yep. Buck Rogers. So Were the Star oh. Trek films before or oh, after? After. 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 As okay. a result of. I think we were uh, at the limit of our knowledge on that one. Okay, now list everything that's come in the past 33 years in the realm of fantasy and sci-fi adventure on the big screen. Oh, Christ. Lord of the Rings. Um, the Star Treks. Mm-hmm. Um, Back to the Star- Future. Yep. Stargate. Yep. Um, Aliens. Yep. Chronicles of Narnia, Mummy, The Mummy Returns. I can't those are some fantasies. Um, Uh, Inspired somewhat more by Indiana Jones. Ah, yes, of course. Gremlins, Ghostbusters. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yep. Robocop, Predator, Willow, Jurassic Park, Pixar. Was Blade Runner? Blade Runner was after, wasn't it? It was. Yep. Fifth Element, inspired by Blade Runner, inspired by Star Wars. Harry Potter, Spider-Man, Hellboy, Iron Man, Avatar. Uh, and not to mention the original and remake series of Battlestar Galactica, and of course, Firefly and Serenity, all unarguably influenced by Star Wars. Mm. Well, Star Wars is the one that brought it to the... Uh, I'm going to say a horrible word now. Mass market. It had mm. the mass market appeal. It appealed to everyone, where, like you said, with 2001 a spa- a Space Odyssey, that was sort of highbrow, high-thinking cinema. You know, mm. that's Stanley Kubrick. But here you had Star Wars that was for the masses, for the for everybody and it was easy and simple to follow also America at the time in 77 were miserable because they'd just finished Vietnam they'd just finished Watergate they'd, had, they'd been betrayed you know they were down the dumps they needed something huge and massive it's the reason why I mean it's one of the reasons why Lord of the Rings was so absolutely huge in 2001 because everyone wanted to take their mind off of September 11th yeah Seriously, it's, it's, uh, people just wanted to lose themselves in a world where they weren't terrified. Yeah, basically, Star Wars hit at exactly the right time because we were just about to hit the 80s when everything became technological and, and again, its influence spread out throughout that. How much do you guys know about the actual production on this one and the, all of the different iterations that it went through and the, the, the mad ideas that were bursting out of George's head before they got channeled into something a bit more workable? I know, I know snippets. I know, like, you know, what's it, Luke's name was originally Star Killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and originally, you know, like Obi Wan killed 
Luke's father, and there were there were some like drastic changes. If you listen to George talking about it, he he seems to talk as if he had this plan all along, but then he talks about how he made changes, and then it becomes apparent that he's not even sure at what point he decided certain things were going to be, <laughs> and well, um, he's, he's a little bit confused by three decades worth of rewrites. It's interesting because he starts off saying, "Oh, it was going to be this this one huge film," and then he had to cut it down into just one film, but then he wanted to make some sequels to it, but then he decided it was going to be six films. Aside from Anthony Daniels, who actually, now that I think about it, did a really good job with the whole physical acting and the miming, do you rate the acting in this film? I do uh, uh, rate Alec Guinness. I, do, I, I like, I, and there's one key moment where I think, actually, yeah, you are out-acting anyone here. It's the moment when uh, Luke says, uh, he's looking for an Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Alec Guinness's eyes just glaze over. He's like, Obi-Wan... And you can see he's looking in distance. It's like he's remembering now, and he and he says that's the name. I've, and he he's still staring off into the distance. That's a name I've not heard in a long time. You can tell that this guy has been hiding for about thirty years. That moment, there, twenty years. The time continuity between the prequels and the original. And I know we're not judging this based on the prequels, but you have just done three weeks, and I've been really enjoyed listening to you guys talk about. I'm not go for it. Like, like you said, like why does um. Owen Lars not remember owning C-3PO. That was going to be one of my questions. Not just well, owning C-3PO, C-3PO but hey, hey, C-3PO hey, wait, wait, wait. and R2-D2. He's yeah. seen them together as a pair 20 years ago. Why and then Anakin Obi-Wan? came back and all kinds of shit went down. If I were Owen, I'd be like, Anakin Skywalker must come nowhere near this boy. We don't want him to have anything to do with him. And yet this droid that belonged to Anakin suddenly turns up with this other droid that belonged to Padme. If anything, if anything, you'd turn... Um, C-3PO and R2 away, both of them, just in case they're like yeah. tracking devices or something. Why? Okay, to carry on, why does Obi-Wan not recognise R2 when he slags him off for the first 15 minutes of Revenge of the Sith? Mm. You'd remember that. Also, if you watch your Clone Wars, the TV series, that, that he hangs out with R2 all yeah. the time. He calls the, him R2-D2. The big one that really bothered me is um, Grand Moff Tarkin talking to Darth Vader. You, my friend, are all that is left of their religion, and was and the you know the commander is like your sad devotion to that ancient religion. Ancient, it's twenty, 20 years. years. <laughs> How has everyone forgotten the Jedi? I yeah, mean, Christ, that's, fifty that's, years on, we remember the Gurkhas. That's like referring to AMC Hammer as an ancient dance form. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that guy's way too mouthy with Vader. From from how everyone's terrified of him in Empire, yeah. there is no way that if Empire had come out first, that that guy would be all sort of, you know, your sad devotion. Vader was just... Uh, Vader goes easy on him. I know he's a relatively high-ranking well, Christ, Imperial he's, he's, official, but Vader's supposed to be the skull-like figure of the Emperor's wrath. He'd be like, now, fuck this clown. Exactly. He's Tarkin's bitch in this one. It's yeah. like, this is meant to be a Dark Lord of the Sith. 
This is meant to be, like you say, the emperor's right hand man. This man is meant to be second to no one. Yeah. He is the emperor's apprentice, and he's basically wandering around like some great bodyguard. Did you notice that in this film and only this film, Darth Vader has red eyes? Yeah. Yeah. It's early design choice, they got rid of that. If you actually look, the bridge of his nose is very light silver as well. Uh, okay, actually, to go, to go back to um, your whole, you know, good acting, at the very start, the whole attack on the Tantive Four, Darth Vader genuinely looks like the sort of guy who's pissed off with everything that life's given him. Mm. He really doesn't give a shit. He's ma- it really makes me appreciate how much of a badass Darth Vader is. I mean, mm. when I first when I first watched Star Wars, I wasn't that... Uh, Darth Vader was a cool character, but I wasn't that scared of him. I didn't think he was that big a deal. Now when I go back and watch it, and admittedly, you know, subconsciously influenced by the prequels and having seen everything he apparently went through, or what mm. it, more accurately what he was meant to have gone through had it been written properly... I now watch that opening scene. I think, you know what? Jesus, this guy's gone through loads of crap. He just, he doesn't care anymore. He's an angry man. It's now a much better performance for me. See, in comparison to films five and six, Vader's acting in this one's actually fairly rubbish to me. It's like, you are part of the Rebel Alliance and a traitor. Take it away! Oh, and the voice is bad. The voice is bad. It's because James Earl Jones hadn't got the handle on him yet. Yeah. As of Empire, he is so fucking cool more on yeah. that next week but just this sort of rumbling menace in his voice in this he's like there'll be no one to stop us this time and he's he's very kind of you know yes i shall twirl my mustache i mean he's menacing but he's he's a shadow of what he's about to become uh, i don't know if fader had turned up in the prequels and been like this i'd have been like well i suppose it kind of fits in with star wars but it's missing the character yeah, yeah but at least he wasn't a whiny bitch in this one. Oh hell no he's still a thousand <laughs> times better than anakin i actually don't rate a lot of the uh, acting in this it seems like everybody's just getting to know their part and it wasn't until Empire that they really embodied them. Everybody's serious and sells each ridiculous scenario very well. But the delivery is occasionally atrocious and mired down by poor ADR. I think 98% of the lines in this film had to be re-recorded in a studio. Makes everything seem strangely detached. Also, the first edit was reportedly sluggish and needed a full overhaul, which may explain how jumpy the cuts are in this version, the version that everybody knows. I think with this cut, it proves that George Lucas has no concept of how to sell time mm. in in movies at all. There's no sense of time. It makes very... The transition... It all seems to happen in an afternoon, just like it never... <laughs> so free. I just watched the scene with Luke and Ben in Kenobi's hut and count how many times it leaps between their faces. It still works and it's pacey, but you can often tell that this film was held together with string and a wish. It's almost like a pantomime at times as well. If you, if you actually watch the scene where they're that's no moon, and they're just sort of being dragged in by the Death Star, and they're, all, they're, they're selling this crazy scenario in this tiny little cockpit, and they're going, oh my god, we're in space, and there's a Death Star over there. Oh god, it's like, it's so cheap, and yet it's really charming. I mean, that's, yeah. it's not a bad thing at all. I mean, if, effectively, you've seen what it's like when they throw money at it. Awful. Yeah, look, be afraid of the tennis ball on the stick. <laughs> no. I mean, it, it must have been just as bad in those days because they were like, what? So we're in this black room. There's a black sheet in front of us with pinpricks in it. And we're being told to be afraid of this thing on a string. I think you get that with anything, though. I mean, I, I, obviously, like, it's not a direct comparison. But if you look at cartoon series like Family Guy, The Simpsons, etc., the mm. first two or three seasons, yeah. all of the acting is terrible. The voices are appalling. It's, it's only when they get wrong. You need momentum. You Let's go out for frosty chocolate milkshakes. Exactly. You can't automatically drop yourself into a role that not only have you never experienced, no one has experienced. No one had experienced a character like Darth Vader with the deep voice, the breathing apparatus, the evil villain... Um, no one had done um, 
Uh, you know, the Anthony Daniels, the weird robot. No one had done this film before. We, we've just said, you know, there was nothing like this before. They were, uh, no one had read a script like this before. I mean, you know, the classic Harrison Ford, you can say this, you can read this shit, but you can't say it. The sort of stuff that they were doing is the realms of, um, you know, sci-fi novels, etc. And it doesn't come across when you read it out loud. I mean, you know, to go back to like, you know, um, any sort of, you know, like novel, you, you try read it out loud. Harry Potter, for Christ's sake. Harry Potter, all of them, including some of the teachers, aren't quite used to what they're meant to be doing, how their character is. You watch them by the third film, they're absolutely spot on, they're in that role. And you just, I maybe I'm forgiving, but you do have to kind of give kind of leeway for that. Welcome to Orientation Day, here on the jolly old Death Star. Now, there are a few things we want to go over with you concerning Lord Vader. First and foremost, he thinks he has the power to strangle us. Truth is, he doesn't. If he ever realized this, he would kill us with his lightsaber. Thus, to keep us safe, we'll all pretend to get strangled. Okay, let's try a practice. Commander Winston here will assist me. I'm going to hold out my hand like Lord Vader, and he will pretend to be strangled. <laughs> Gasping for air, grabs throat. Yes, yes. Eyes back, and he's down. Good show, Commander. Now, two of the floor chiefs will retrieve the corpse. Redress him, add a moustache, and he's back to work as Lieutenant Leopold. Vader has the satisfaction of killing someone, and we stay amongst the living. Why, Private Perkins over there has been strangled over 30 times, haven't you, Perkins? <laughs> Good man. Okay, so did Ben Kenobi lie? Yes, he did. Is it me, or is it in this movie, compared to how we've seen the Jedi in the prequels not very Jedi he influences the minds of the stormtroopers he he almost looks like he tries to influence the mind of Han as well mm. and he certainly manipulates Luke when they find the Sandcrawler destroyed uh, he's, he's trying desperately to convince Luke not to go back to the farm yeah. because he knows what Luke's going to find I, I'm going to throw in here that's a very very good leading point I've I've listened to there's um, a series of podcasts called A Different Point of View, which is short five minute essays by a guy posing as a stormtrooper who looks at all of the films, all six, and retells stories from a stormtrooper's point of view. And some of them are bloody convincing. Case in point, the Owen Lars thing. And uh, so the, the Owen and Baru, the deaths of the last family. He points out that we like, OK, so Owen and Baru are burned to death. The worst deaths in the entire trilogy. No one else gets left as a smouldering skeleton. Even Boba Fett didn't get punked that badly. You, funny you mention him. You never see stormtroopers in the entire six films using flamethrowers. The mm. only character in, in the in this saga that used a flamethrower is Boba, Boba Fett. Fett. Yeah. So that would imply that Boba Fett is the one that killed. Boba Fett being a bounty hunter. Why would a bounty hunter go and kill these farmers? Obi-Wan has obviously got underworld contacts with that fat lizard bloke from episode two, Dexter Jexter, who's clearly not a legitimate businessman. <laughs> right? So how it just the guy, you know, he, he points out that maybe, maybe Obi-Wan hires Boba Fett to kill Owen and Baruz so he can essentially hoodwink and kidnap Luke and get him to join and fight his cause. It holds a lot of weight because effectively, surely... Surely all the stormtroopers would have done is shoot them. Yeah, exactly. Burning exactly. them alive seems something of overkill. Yeah. There's it does no actually make no sense whatsoever. And it's overly gruesome as well. It is. It shows the friggin' skeletons. Here's two burnt skeletons. As he, as he points out, as he points out, just before Luke runs off to go and see the family, 
all of the blaster hits on the sand crawler are accurate and deadly and precise. If you've got accurate, deadly, precise, and that's your standard mode of operation, why would you then use something as messy as a flamethrower? The only explanation is the robot chicken one. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I don't know where the droids are. We're not getting anything out of these two. Burn them alive. No, no, please, no. Oh, and I have a message from Lord Vader. He says, you may now laugh about the little orphan Annie joke. You tell him it was funny then, and it's funny now. Ha ha ha! Little orphan Annie. Ha ha! You tell him to his face. Oh, we'll do. Light him up, boys. Well, Baru, people always said we were a hot couple. You know, Owen, you really are an asshole. Mind you, you know how you pointed out that he says. Accurate. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna say, no one's less accurate than stormtroopers. What are you talking about? Jawas are more accurate than stormtroopers. You watch the, the bit uh, in the Death Star between Luke and Leia when he's trying to throw the grappling hook. Mm. She just points that gun in any direction and the bolt sort of magically goes the right way. I also love that was that gun she has at the, at the start when yep. she's um, in the Tantive Four and she fires it, drops it, and runs. Why? Is that a one-shot gun or something? <laughs> See, my version of the Clone Wars would actually have been that the first versions of Stormtroopers that the Empire created were clones, just like they were. I mean, instead of them being the good guys in Episode 2, they were basically just there to, to be the iron hand of the Empire. And the wars that occurred were basically just the planets going, no, wait a second, what if we don't want to be in the Empire? And that's how you create an Empire. You conquer people. So basically, Kenobi could have been on that side, the Jedi trying to defend these planets, and the yeah. Jedi lost. That's, that's Firefly! That would have been an amazing Effectively, story, that's yeah. the, the Outer Rim territories going, no, wait a second, what if we don't want to be part of this thing? And yeah. them losing. Wouldn't that have been so much better than the bullshit Trade Federation thing? That, that's, your, that's your crusade, protecting your beliefs. <sighs> protecting your independence. That would have been a great three-movie arc as well, because that could have been epic. The whole thing could have been the Clone Wars. That's and by the end of it, like, the last Jedi gets killed. Has to be said, watching this, uh, watching Star Wars this time around, specifically with the mind of coming on the show and actually thinking about it rather than just switching off and listening to all the speeches that refer to the backstory. If you just ignore the prequels, I'd love to write the backstory and the prequels and like, just have a go at writing that. Like I said, like it's hard. It? I like I said in the first episode, I tried. Yeah, it's I hard. Imagine. You get tied in knots. Going, wait a second, he has to be a good pilot. Uh. But, but, well, but, but writing, it, writing it where like the, the you know the force actually is an ancient religion that everyone has forgotten and people are rediscovering. That is a great idea for a story and all that. Mm. The thing is, the the lines that we're focused on. Your father was a great pilot, a good friend. He fought in the Clone Wars. And a cunning warrior. They, they're almost throwaway lines. Mm. Which mm. is quite interesting that those are the lines he focused on, because they are almost throwaway. They are a brief description of a character that, as far as we know at that point, we're never going to meet. And if you contradict them, you can explain that away in a single line of, oh, you know what, Luke doesn't need to know everything. Obi-Wan lied. Obi-Wan lied, yeah. I have to ask about Tatooine as well before we leave it, because Robot Chicken sort of brought this up. It's a desert planet, and as with a hell of a lot of other planets in the Star Wars galaxy, it's defined by a single topographical feature, sand. So, how is everybody breathing? Yeah. Well, moisture farms or something. I don't know. Well, moisture is for water, not air. Okay, no, no. okay sorry. What's it? It'd be like, um, I don't know, there'll be like an Eden project somewhere. Oh, <laughs> yeah? probably, 
there's probably a continent on Tatooine that we've never seen that is actually like the jungle part of it or something. Nope, I checked on Wikipedia, there isn't. All no, right, no, quite, I'm going to channel George Lucas. It doesn't matter. Precisely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, you can't look at the Star Wars universe scientifically. It's not like Star Trek, which is actually trying to be science fiction. This mm. is science fiction, emphasis on fiction. I, I, I listen to so many writing podcasts where they refer to Star Wars as, as in the original, you know, this film, Star Wars New Hope, as great examples of um, writing and basic story structure, but in terms of world building, utterly shit. Just, it's got to just take the story for what it is approach rather than explaining every minute detail of the life cycle. It actually added greatly to Star Wars's charm and made it possible for the oldest and youngest to enjoy it. One of the pitfalls of the prequels was over-explaining some things and leaving others in the dark. Uh, yeah, I, when I watched the um, the commentary, he actually said like there were certain points where um, he didn't want to explain certain things. He yeah. just said like so certainly like a lot of the terminology they use, he didn't want to explain it. He just wanted to leave it. And if it sounds like they know what they're talking about, mm. the audience accepts it, and that is just a just a good narrative tool. If if someone talks as if something's normal, you, you make the unfamiliar familiar by making the characters talk about it as if it's real, not worry about, not question everything. Mm. It's not like those um, sci-fi or fantasy films where you have a character that's like us and needs to be... Go- the Harry Potter that, yeah. yeah, exactly. The Harry Potter that needs to have everything explained to him so that we get it explained to us. He just went for it so that um, the audience is just, you know, along for the ride and accepts the world as it is. That would have worked if he'd used that in the prequels as well. The word midi-chlorians, at the risk of angering the two of you, uh, didn't, uh, didn't bother me at all. In the When they first said it in, like, in um, Phantom Menace, I saw Phantom Menace in the cinema and they said midi-chlorians, I wasn't bothered. I thought, I thought to myself, oh, it's just something to do with the, um, the Force. It's when he explains yeah, it that midi-chlorians yeah. upsets people. Yeah, and you're right, you're yeah, right actually. Because you, if he if he hadn't gone through that, what are midi chlorians? I've been wondering. If you could have read about it in the books or Wikipedia or something later, that would have been fine. Yeah, exactly. Just say yeah, his midi chlorian. You might as well just say his cat's poe ironing board is off the chart. Yeah. Okay, right. This is the big divider, the special editions. For each of the original trilogy, we're going to look at the changes that have occurred over the years to the different editions. There are three significant cuts, which we'll call 77, 97, and 04, for clarity. The 77 cuts are the original trilogy we know and love. Greedo shoots first, there's someone else playing a holographic Palpatine in Empire, and Sebastian Shaw plays Ghost Anakin. The 97 cuts are the special edition theatrical re-releases where George first started really tinkering with his work. Greedo shoots first, someone else is still playing Palpatine, and Sebastian is still Anakin, but two songs in Jedi are different, and we're starting to get scared. The 04 cuts are the DVD releases. Han shoots first, but Greedo does get a threatening shot off. Ian McDermott is playing Palpatine, Hayden Christensen is playing Ghost Anakin, and Tamura Morrison has his voice pasted onto Boba Fett. The OT are available on Amazon right now in a six-disc box set for £14, or $35. You want to be looking for the one with the blue cover with Vader fighting Luke on it. That will give you the 04 DVD cut, along with the bonus discs featuring the original 77 non-special editions in non-anamorphic widescreen. To clarify, non-anamorphic means if you stick it on a decent 
HDTV widescreen, it'll appear as like a little box surrounded by a sea of black. That yeah. was good. That was good fun watching that on a 22-inch monitor halfway across my room in the middle of the night, and I've got this tiny little box. Yeah, I actually really like the O4 cuts in terms of of how good they make the films look. But there's yeah. still not a perfect version available. They're, they're, each one has flaws. Now, on a side note, that pretty much means that the only way you're going to see the 1997 editions with the shonky-looking CGI jabber is by buying the old videotapes. So if Which you don't, I've still got, <laughs> and I will never ever eBay. If you don't own this set but like Star Wars, then for God's sake, spend the extra cash to get the DVD box set so you can have the original cuts, non-anamorphic though they may be. It may be the only place you're going to be able to see them in years to come. Right, here is Lucas's quote, which I think actually says a hell of a lot about him. There will be only one, and it won't be what I call the rough cut. It'll be the final cut. The other one will be some sort of interesting artifact that people look at and say, there was an earlier draft of this. The same thing happens with plays and earlier drafts of books. In essence, the films never get finished. They get abandoned. That's the ones. At, that's some, the point, one there. at some point, you're dragged off the picture kicking and screaming while somebody says, Luke, dude, I'm going to be kicking you and screaming if you don't get off this fucking picture. While somebody says, okay, it's done. That really isn't the way it should work. Occasionally, you can go back and get your cut of the video out there, which I did on both American Graffiti and THX 1138. That's the place where it will live forever. So what ends up being important in my mind is what the DVD version is going to look like, because that's what everybody is going to remember. The other version will disappear. Even the 35 million tapes of Star Wars out there won't last more than 30 or 40 years. A hundred years from now, the only version of the movie that anyone will remember will be the DVD version of the special edition and you'll be able to project it on a 20 inch by 40 inch screen with perfect quality i think it's the director's prerogative not the studios to go back and reinvent a movie fit him with a restraining bolt (laughs) i love that that was an expanded universe american cinematographer magazine february 1997 this was still what eight years before the dvds came out this was just after he'd done the special editions before he'd added even more so how many times have they been tinkered with now three so technically it's caught up with blade runner Technically, he already started tinkering with it in, in the early 80s. When Empire came out, he added A New Hope. There was a mono version of the audio mix, which you know they had to put out there because a lot of theatres back in the 70s didn't even have stereo at the time. And they had to add a few extra bits in there to, uh, to, to make it make sense. Um, and a lot of those bits that they added on ended up being in later stereo versions of it. I mean, it's, it's, it's been changing for year after year. I think what people really resent is the fact that we can't have... A box set with all of them. You, you mentioned Blade Runner there. At least with the, the most recent edition, you can actually watch every version of Blade Runner if you want to. The theatrical version, the director's cut, and then the, the final cut. And that's why I, I, that's why I hope that eventually they do bring it, even if it is, like, even, like I say, even if they do charge like 40 quid for each film because you get all those different editions. Because I want, I've got the, like I say, I've got the 97s on um, video. Those will always be my editions. Those are the versions I watched up and uh, watched as a kid growing up. Mm. I, I, I've never seen the 1977 um, Return of the Jedi. I've never seen it. I've only ever seen. So you've the, never seen the original Jedi rock sound, the the the, the Jabba's band, and uh, the, the original be- I don't, song. I don't believe I have. I don't oh my I have. god! I don't believe that. But the 97, and, I, and I'm aware that people don't like those, but. Empire and New Hope particularly, 
97 will always be my version because that's the version I grew up with. That's the version I saw in the cinema. And that's the version I've got on video. And I don't ever want to lose that. But videos will eventually degrade. And I want them on DVD. I might have to take your George wants. The odds of what the, the odds of the 97 ones being included in the Blu-ray are pretty slim in all yeah. seriousness. Because I mean, he's, he'll just consider them as yet another step up the ladder on the uh, the, the road to keeping this thing updated. But back in 97, he was talking about that the only version in a hundred years from now people will be watching is the DVD. But what, less than 13 years afterwards, we're already going, when are the friggin' Blu-rays coming out? I mean, it's, they've been out since 2006, but he's well late with this one. And, you know, he's not even considered higher definitions. And, you know, post-Blu-ray, in a hundred years' time, people won't be watching Blu-rays. They'll be watching it in some sort of incredible holographic format. I don't know. But no, just be injected into your mind. You plug it like was it a Matrix doll? They just plug it into your head. We can't imagine. But the point is, if you keep fucking changing it every time, it's going to be constantly. You know, we're never going to be able to get the version that we actually feel most comfortable with in the best possible quality. I don't mind him tinkering with them all the time. I just like to have the originals. I have a list here of all the changes made for the special 97 edition of A New Hope, plus the new editions for the 04 edition. We can chew through them and discuss, because I actually think it's not such a clear case of black and white. Change is bad. Keep these movies the same. There are a lot of Star Wars fans echo. I think there's shades of grey and things that really are quite good about the special editions, but also times when George and company went too far. Let's see where you guys stand on this one. Picture quality and sound quality, first up. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that it's more charming hearing the original mix, and yeah, it's kind of... It's also you know really great to listen to records but at the same time if you can listen to it with like really polished up and enhanced audio as long as they don't make any botched up mix situations it's i mean the sound of the 04 versions is absolutely phenomenally good and they've really polished it up and, and even like what's it like the fact they um re-recorded elements of the score for the 97 and 4 edition like when you watch that opening crawl and john williams amazing majestic theme is quite the word i want to say is poppy do you know what I mean? Party. It's like, whereas when you listen, when you listen to it like on the later versions, and it's amazing, particularly like the bit in the middle, like where he ditches the trumpet and goes onto the strings, and that flows so wonderfully. I prefer the sound of the new ones. Uh, he added a new hope to it after Empire came out, just so that he could, people could say, "Well, what's this one called?" Fine I, I'm fine with that too. In, in all seriousness, it's, if, if you're going to extend it beyond just a single film that sort of you know encompasses everything, it's going to have to have an episode name. You couldn't call Fellowship of the Ring Lord of the Rings. CGI Jubaks uh, and the Imperial transport that got added to the ta- looks her droids bit. I like that. I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm fine. And it, interestingly enough, I'm actually not happy with it because basically you're looking at the friggin' Jubak. And you're like, oh, there's, there's a little weird, like, big lizard thing in the background, sort of just knocking about the place. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's okay, like... Well, maybe, looking- maybe not maybe not the one that's near the pod. Like you say, like, there's, there's shades of grey. I don't like the one that's near the pod and is wandering around. I like mm-hmm. the one that's on the hill and mm-hmm. isn't a cardboard cutter, actually just shouts and, you're, and yeah. actually opens its mouth when it goes... It's to me, it's sort of foreshadowing how much crap got thrust into the prequels in the back. Yeah. So all this just like a child running around going, "Look at me! Look at me!" Um, the scene with uh, R2D2 just about to get caught by Jawas. They add a new Tatooine skyline in there. I mean, little subtle things you probably wouldn't remember. That uh, I don't mind. The uh, no, no the new sand crawler sequence where it gets much closer up and it looks absolutely huge with a very blue like that. sky. That's that was great because it, it makes it look 
huge again, which I actually think is good. Um, the crate dragon call, uh, even the '97 version, it's the it's the old sound effect, but then they added a new sort of. I don't know. Is that good? Is that bad? Other than sound ignorant, when on earth do you hear the when Obi Wan Kenobi tries to scare off the sand people? Uh, oh, that! Yeah. I want to see one of the sand people going. Well, that's not a crate dragon. That's clearly just an old man in a, in a brown coat who's got a very loud voice. Let's go kick his ass. Oh wait, he's a Jedi and he's got a lightsaber. Uh, let's run away. That would have been better. People. Sand, the sand people are dangerous. That's he true. says this. The sand people are really dangerous. Etc. You can't go out at night because the sand people. And then. Um, when he when he says oh it might be sand people come on let's go have a look why it is a bit more Enid Blyton and less kind of we had to live with the daily hell of possible sand people raids and they're going to rape us to death yeah and then eat us and if we're very lucky they'll do it in that order. <laughs> <laughs> Outside Ben's house, there's an establishing shot, uh, w- which is much more polished in the uh, special editions. Totally fine. Oh, that, yeah. Yep. Moss Eisley. Now, this is where, for me, it comes crashing down. Oh, yeah. It starts off with womp rats just jigging about in the foreground. Then, when they actually go into Moss Eisley, it pulls back and it shows you the whole of this giant CGI Moss Eisley. Then there's a, someone on a swoop and it flies past a Ronto, which throws a G- CGI Jawa off. And then when they're in the crowded street, loads of people are walking past and there's all like, like crazy dinosaurs and things. And the out, the, actually, this is only a tiny something you wouldn't even notice, but the Outrider, which is Dash Rendar's ship from Shadows of the Empire, actually flies off around that point. Who uh, is it? Yeah. I'm going to have to look. I've only just read Shadows of the Empire like a month ago. More precisely in general. I mean, it's it's obvious that when they filmed it, they were like really pushed for time and money and they were sort of throwing it together and they put a bunch of weird like Muppet heads on things and most of the people walking through the street are just regular like people and it, it just looks kind of cheap and shoddy in the 77 version but it looks, you know, it's it's passable. But maybe, in the- maybe I buy too much into what George says, but I like, I didn't mind, so I'm, I like's a bit too strong. I didn't mind the Moss Eisley because I could see what he was trying to achieve. He's trying to achieve, look, this is a spaceport that is always busy. Mm. And I saw what he was trying to do. Mm. And it doesn't go to the ridiculous levels of things happening like the prequels where you just don't know yeah. what you're actually going to be looking at. Again, it's, it's less subtle for me, and so you know, it's not like you're going to miss this one. It's like bloody obvious that they've that they've added new stuff to it. It's basically it's when the effects suddenly change to things you know they weren't capable of back in '77. You're like, okay, and you, it pushes you out of the picture a bit. I mean, that that could have been maybe slyly added in a little more. Um, there was too much over the topness. That's my problem with the whole when we hit Moss Eisley. I don't mind the fact adding more people making it look busier, but it's when yeah. you start adding in the creatures, that's yeah. where it gets. Pulled and all out. the the, the Jawa flying off the wrong turn. Yeah, the Jawa. If they just used, um, makes sense. To yeah, me. composite extra stormtroopers and stuff. Yeah, make the streets more say, crowded. If, stuff if it was just crap. people walking past and not actually being the centre of attention, they would mm. fine. Yeah. Okay, now we get to the one that everybody uses as, an, as a reason why the special editions were crap, and why, if, if this hadn't been in them, I think people would have been more receptive. Fucking Greedo shoots first. Thank you, we're the Cantina Band. If you have any requests, shout them out. Play that same song. All right, same song. Here we go. 
Okay, now, there is a reason why Greedo shot first. Because Lucas wanted to establish Han Solo as a roguish kind of guy, but a stand-up guy, and he only shoots when he's shot at. He somehow managed to get the character of Greedo, who never shot at all, to fire a laser blast at Han. And in retaliation, Han, who was getting his gun ready at the time, shoots him in a kind of, well, if you're going to shoot me, I'm going to defend myself kind of way. In the original version, Han's getting his gun ready, and, and Greedo's sort of, you know, ha ha ha, I'm going to lead you to Jabba. But Greedo has no intention of killing him right there. Absolutely none. And so Han's like, nah, fuck that. And caps him right there in the bar, and then just walks off, cold as ice, and goes... Sorry about the mess. That's a great way of establishing that Han is not like Luke. It's a really great way of establishing... This guy has been around, and he has dealt with some shady characters. He's not going to take any shit from anyone. It is a great way of establishing Han. And having Greedo shoot at him, and, and Greedo almost killing him, because he got sloppy and allowed himself to be cornered like that, sucks. It really does. And the way it's done is so, like, it's messing with something we already know is really cool. It'd be like if uh, Vader faced off Obi-Wan and they changed Vader's dialogue to say, you're going down, old man. You're like, Vader wouldn't say that. (laughs) But it's like, no, I I can do that because I can. I just think that that establishes Vader's character a bit differently. It'd be like John McClane McClane trying to pull Hans Gruber up before he falls off the, the building. Yes! And it, yeah, in fact, just like digitally re and you know changing it so that uh, you know a CGI arm leaps out and says, "Hans, grab my hand!" and then Hans tried to shoot him. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it's, no I, I completely agree with you. Because like, because Hans is the best character. He's he's the rogue, and like you said, like, it just does show him as incompetent. If you if he lets himself get that close, it just he that him Hans shooting first establishes him as a badass, mm. as the the kind of the cocky. Rogue, and it just—it's so. He's a pirate. Exactly, it's so in keeping with the character. The reason he is—he's able to get away with so much with Jabba. He, you know, the reason he's still alive and not dead, mm. and still able to promise Jabba, "Don't worry, I'll pay you back later," is because he spent years of establishing himself as a world-class, well, universal-class, galaxy-class smuggler who can handle absolutely anything. I, mean, what's, I can't remember which one it is. One of the films, he says, um, Chewie and I have been in a lot worse scrapes than this. You believe him. Mm. You believe him because he has been. I, I, you know, I'd love to read more stories about like, you know, like, uh, what those two got through. Oh, I'm the sure Han Solo trilogy. I, so I hear I, my house. Is that the one with Bollocks or Blue Max? <laughs> I think it's the one with Blue Max. Although <laughs> he was called Bollocks in the American version. B-O-L-L-U-X. Nice. It was a droid. Okay. Bollocks. Then there's the jab of the... Uh, okay. Neil, what do you think about hand, uh, Greedo shooting first, first? I'm not bothered by it, actually. Really? I'm really not bothered by it. The the updated version in the 04, basically he sort of listened to everyone saying Han should shoot first, and basically Greedo gets a shot off as Han's shooting him, implying that he was readying himself to pull the trigger, and basically Han got in there just in time, and, and basically Han wasn't really playing defence... He was just being cautious, but at the same time, it's kind of like a halfway house. All he had to do was just restore the original badass moment, and everyone had been like, yes, these are the ultimate version. I think just that scene is just reminding us, is meant to be reminding us that Han isn't a good guy. That's mm. the plain point of it. He's not, at that point, yeah. he is not a good guy. Because that's, that's his character arc. His, yeah. his character arc is that he, he, he's almost the opposite of Darth Vader, of Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader, etc. He is an evil guy that becomes good. I said that in the episode two episode. He's just a prick, Uh, but Anakin becomes more and more of a prick until eventually becomes a child murdering prick. Can we talk about Jabba now, please? Yes. 
Now, Jabba the Hutt, for the original 77 version, this scene wasn't in there, but it was basically a guy in a hairy outfit um, who was supposed to be Jabba the Hutt having a conversation with, with Han uh, outside the Falcon, surrounded by bounty hunters. George claims they were going to put a puppet in afterwards or something. Again, I don't think he knows that they weren't. I think originally, I think as written... Clue. As written, Jabba was supposed to be this just sort of guy, which is why when at the end, when Han goes up the ramp, he goes, you're a wonderful human being, Jabba. He wouldn't say that if he clearly wasn't a human being. Oh, no, 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 no. As it is, it's kind of ironic, but in a kind of a, hmm, well, he says this, and there's nothing else we can say at this point. And I, I always took that, that footage of the original scene, you know, pre-CGI slug, as kind of, we'll film this now, because, you know, a lot of the Star Wars films were filmed in a, we'll get what we can, mm. we'll film this now, if need be, we'll do it later. I mean, he says in the um, in the the commentary on the, mm. the O4 DVD that half the stuff filmed on Tatooine was filmed after they came back from Tunisia. Like, certainly, like, the Jawa attack on uh, R2 was filmed in Death Valley. Yeah, that was in Arizona, um, yeah. In Arizona, because they couldn't do it in Tunisia because Archie wouldn't move across the sand, etc. Likewise, I think he honestly thought he had that time, or someone would have said, well, we've got the time, we'll film this now, and if need be, we'll redo it. Then why did he say you're a wonderful human being? Because in the original, gra- in the original draft, maybe it was a human being, or maybe he was trying to be ironic or whatever. Maybe he was more humanoid in the original Oh, maybe it's just Han being insulting. Okay, but everything points to it being the opposite, and then only having filmed him as a, a guy, because Han walks around him, and they that, have to that, physically that, that, push <laughs> Harrison Ford up and over, and he walks on Jabba's fucking tail. In the original, in the 97 version, the one you love so much, James, Jabba's like, oh! He does that in the 04 version, and it's o- really no, bad. In the 04 version, Jabba's about to hit him at that point. Really? Yeah. I've not seen that bit. Watch it. Jabba looks like he wheels around like he's actually about to punch him. Okay. And ultimately, I've, uh, in the comics, huts eat people, and he was quite yes. capable of doing that. that, that that's like well, that, that's the whole Jedi thing, wasn't it? Like when he pulls um, Leia to his face and licks his lips, he's like, yeah. he's clearly going to... He's sizing her up for dinner. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, okay, okay I, I love my 97 versions, I, but I agreed with um, Neil earlier today that, yes, the Jabba scene is pointless, and... Mm. And the scene, and again, maybe I buy too much into George. I don't find the him suddenly standing up and go. I don't find that horrendous, like the him going over the thing, because I do think, well, that's all they were technologically able to do. Mm. And you know, better that than him just to walk through the tail. It shows that they at least thought about it. Would it, would this conversation not be different if he'd walked through and we'd be bitching? Well, how is he just walking through the tail? I, I don't think they could actually release that film. <laughs> I don't think that scene's needed. It's pointless. Yeah. And the only other extra bit that scene adds in is, oh, it shows that Boba Fett, Boba Fett is working right, yeah. for the Hutt. I'm intrigued. Was Boba Fett in the original scene? I've never actually seen it with the guy. I don't. It seems like when he, when he walks past and turns to look at the camera in the 04 version, he goes, ha ha, yeah, ha, Boba Fett. I'm sorry. That's that all. That seems I'll, I'll like it's an We'll talk about this more like next week. But that's all Boba Fett does. He just stands around and goes, "Ha ha, I'm Boba Fett." That's all really? he does. He stands. <laughs> the giant chicken is Boba Fett. But at least the 04 version of Jabba the Hutt looks like him. The, the 97 version is awful. Yeah, it's just an awful scene anyway. So, well, the 97, the 97 Jabba the Hutt is the Phantom Menace Jabba the Hutt, isn't it? No, no, the 04 Jabba the Hutt is the Phantom Menace Jabba the Hutt. Much better. Oh, is it? Okay. His eyes look dull and lifeless. They're gaining. 
leaning on us. We'll be safe enough once we make the jump to hyperspace. Besides, I know a few maneuvers. We'll lose them. Uh, that... that was your maneuver? Moving slightly to the left? Well, I mean, we're not in the same place we were, huh? That ought to confuse him. Yeah, but you hardly did anything. You just started listing lazily to the left. I'm pretty sure they can keep up. Where do they go? There they are. They're listing lazily to the left. Go left, left! Boy, this guy knows some maneuvers. After that, there's nothing really significant that's been changed hugely about uh, Star Wars. There's uh, uh, a new scene of the Falcon taking off. Uh, when Alderaan explodes, it doesn't... Much prefer water. that second, that new season, the, uh, the Falcon taking off. That looks really cool. Yeah, me too. Seeing that ship properly for the it. first time. But when you, you get that big blue stripe of, uh, of edges <sighs> flying off. Yeah. yeah. Alderaan explodes much more um, impressively. Yep. Uh, the Death Star docking bay was retouched to make it look a bit more like it did in Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. There's a bit where Han goes running off and then encounters, in the original version, seven stormtroopers and a dead end. But in the new version, he, he encounters like a hundred stormtroopers and TIE fighters. And it seems much more comedic and kind of a what the hell have you just let yourself in for? See, that, right. that is a reason why I love the 97. That is one reason why I love the 97s and subsequently the 04s, like, yeah, like just the special edition, because that has so much impact. If you look at it beforehand, it's Han chasing after six armoured heavily armed stormtroopers who then get around the corner and realize they outgun this guy mm. and it just and it looks stupid him it's kind of three stooges in there yeah very it's it's, it's comical they, they should really be running back and forth across a corridor where you know between doors like yeah, a French to the Benny, to the Benny Hill thing <laughs> it's it's comical but not for the right reasons when he runs in and he's like oh my god ah it runs and it's got much more impact and it's much more in keeping with they redid it in Indiana Jones um, and Temple the of Temple of Doom where he runs after two guys up to the camera and then you see his face and he panics and runs back and then a hundred Gurkha guards or whatever they are just run after him it's much much better that way around and that's another reason why because there were points where the special editions did actually make more sense and had more impact mm. um, yeah, I mean the addition of additional troopers makes it feel like this is a huge because bear in mind when we watch when you watch Star Wars they're only in a tiny tiny portion of this huge space station mm. Mm. adding in the stormtroopers helps you feel the size of it like wow that's a whole battalion you just walked in on a whole battalion you know they say that it's uh, they're on level four and level five when they split up. It's like 160 kilometers across this thing, <laughs> and they're only on levels four and five. You'd imagine they'd be pretty far south at that point. Actually, like that, that brings up like I don't know if you've listened to um, any of the a different point of views, but one of the first one he's um, the of the stormtroopers essays is about how everyone goes on about the um, the Death Star, Death Star escape as examples of how stormtroopers are shit shots and they can't shoot for toffee. Mm. As he accurately points out. If you've put a tracking device on a ship, you'd try and herd the people who were trying to escape onto that ship so you can follow it. And because the Death Star is so big, you need to herd them with lots and lots of stormtroopers. Yeah. I know that, that does and make it sense. Does, it does I've make got to sense. listen to those. Thank you. You do. You do need to listen to them. Is it called they a certain are. point of view or a different point it's, of view? It's a different point of view. Or a certain point of view. Biggs was added to this one. Now, that I'd read the Star Wars novelization back when I was like 10. And so, you know... Seven years later, when I saw this and Biggs actually became a character, um, this is one of Luke's old friends from Tatooine, but watching the 77 version, you bloody wouldn't know, because he hardly refers to him at all. In yeah. fact, I think he sort of, I'm not even sure they mention him. 
he does get mentioned because I was I that's the thing I watched the 77 version and I couldn't work out why he didn't turn up because I had heard his name mentioned he he mentions it at the start I was like oh you know that's what you said when Biggs and Tank left yeah Biggs and Tank left what is the scene like so I once rented out from my local library the Star Wars A to Z of characters Mm. and it gives all of like the original trilogy and all the little characters the toys it's the catalogue if you will Mm. um (laughs) that was just to keep Alex happy Neil I'm sorry Mm. um there was a big two-page, you know, biography, and there's a picture of him and Luke in Mos Eisley. Yeah, earlier scene. Uh, it's actually, Where is that from? It's Anchorhead. Uh, he goes there before... Well, there was a whole scene at the beginning where he's watching the Tantive get uh, sucked in by the Star Destroyer, and it's this sort of aerial battle taking place in the skies above Tatooine, and then he goes off to Anchorhead and meets his friends, and Biggs is basically going off to join the Rebels. And he's like, oh, I want to come with you, but meh, my uncle... And uh, Biggs is like, take care of yourself, Luke. And then when they meet again at the end, it's like, hey, Luke, oh, we're going to take on the whole empire. And that's a sort of rounding of the character. And then when Biggs gets killed, you're like, Luke has nothing left of his earlier life. He's yeah. only got the force at this point. And that's a great arc for Luke. And they should have put in not only that scene where he meets Biggs in the in the hangar, but the earlier scene. If they can get that into the new versions, that would be great. That just I think like I think the, the the later scene suffices. You see the, the the just the strength of that friendship hug. I mean, we've all had those man hugs. We've mm-hmm. all done that. We've all run to see each other at a pub and quick you know, man slap on the back. And just that man slap does establish that wow, these two are really good mates. They've been known each other so long. And then you do feel it when he dies. When you you know nineteen seventy seven version, it's like oh another one's down. Oh well, yep. red shirt. <laughs> okay, well, Hawkins is down. There's a big surprise. Yeah. Just thinking he doesn't that, look really that, airworthy. Who suddenly decides that Luke's the in charge? Good point. I don't know. I think everyone else dies. Well, no, Wedge is there. Wedge should actually outrank him. Yeah. Yeah. But no, but I, I, I thought that. But I, I take it as like Wedge obviously is a kind of new recruit at this stage. He must be. No, Wedge. And Luke's right, a fucking commander at that stage. No. No no excuses. Luke should not be in charge. You're right. I'm sure Wedge until he, Wedge uh, until he's cause just get the name in outranks um, <laughs> uh, him. Yeah, he goes. I, I'm sure it's uh, Wedge that says uh, you call the shots, boss, or something like that. There's Luke wants to join the academy, right? And it's never really gone into. But the academy is the Imperial Academy, that where they train Tie Fighter pilots. I think I think he. I've always read that as he wants to go into the academy. He wants to learn. To fly, How, and then, learn to fly, learn to be a pilot, and, and then defect and, and, and join the rebellion. Exactly, which is what so many imperial uh, then rebel characters do. Mm. That's what happened with Han. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but that, we, they, they never go into that. That would have been interesting. The, this is the thing. This is what I, I, I'm watching it this time round. The first half of the film is so much more intriguing. The third third of it, I do start getting a bit sleepy. As soon as they're on the Death Star and they. I'd, I'd almost say as soon as they leave the um, the control room and go to rescue the princess, after that it becomes a mindless action B movie. You're going from shootout to shootout to battle to space battle to be- swinging over like Errol Flynn. Exactly, and there's so many cliche things, and I don't know if they're cliched because they were in Star Wars or because they were cliches before. Well, no, a lot of it was from Buck Rogers and that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, the swinging across the trench. There's no need for that trench. Why is there a trench on, on the Death Star? Why is there... Why would you retract that bridge? <laughs> why would you have your tractor beam controls, a fairly essential system, on a fucking ledge in the middle of nowhere? The technicians must love that job. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. That is fantastic. Terrific. Work, so no weaknesses at all, huh? No. 
No. You, uh, you hesitated there. Is it something I should know? No, it's virtually indestructible, like 99.99%. Uh, okay, wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask what's the .01. Well, I, I mean, there's this little hole. It was kind of an aesthetic choice by the architect, and if you shoot a laser into this hole, uh, the station blows up. Whoa, 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 that sounds like a pretty big design flaw there. No, 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 the hole's only two meters across. Well, that's no bigger than a womp rat. Exactly. And even to get within range of it, you have to skim along this whole trench. It's not a big deal. Well, I mean, can't we board it up or, you know, put some plywood over it or something? Well, that would look terrible. I mean, we got to think about resale. Resale? What are you talking about? This property is right above sunset. The value's only going to go up. All right, so we're going to plug up that hole? Yeah, we can get it done tomorrow if price is no object. Uh, we'll get estimates. Uh, get estimates, yeah. <laughs> the X-Wing battle, I now think, is, is, is a little bit tired in the 77 version and has actually been vastly improved by uh, extra digital effects they make it yeah. more fast paced uh, yes. the cuts seem a little smoother it says that there's issues with the sound but I actually think that uh, John Williams score can get a little bit too intrusive at times and that they actually make it seem like more of a sort of uh, edge of your seat battle and, and there's actually a lot more at stake so uh, yeah there's a, there's a lot more CGI X-Wings in there but they look very good yeah. and I, I, watching the 77 version because I'm so used to the 97 version I almost didn't know what was going on I couldn't see the Death Star then explodes with a Praxis effect. <laughs> it's more impressive. For, the, for those of the uninitiated, the planet Praxis that gets blown up in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, uh, emits a sort of a blast wave. Uh, which, yeah, it's uh, with you now. Yeah, it's become the, the, the name for that. And so they, the uh, Alderaan did that, and then the Death Star does that, and then the second Death Star does it in the other direction. And the other final thing is that uh, James Earl Jones is now credited. Because he wasn't in the original version. I oh, thought that was fairly important. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's like, and David Prowse as Darth Vader. Whoa, whoa, hello. Credit. Have me. you seen? Have you seen the um, the footage of David Prowse? Like just the old. The force is strong with you. <laughs> You're part of the Rebel Alliance. Let's and the trigger. Take her away. away. He's got this <laughs> wonderful sort of old bland West Country accent, and it's. <sighs> he was under the impression that that was going to be his voice. <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. trash compactor scene when Han and Luke get out of their filthy stormtrooper costumes how and why are they wearing their own clothes underneath I could maybe believe pants and shirts under the tight fitting black body glove that the armor is wrapped around but they're wearing boots they weren't carrying any bags and they couldn't oh, possibly have left the, the, their clothes the, the, this goes back prior to, to entering the cell block to rescue Leia and I don't think Chewie can fit all that into his knapsack it's the, it's the Clark Kent effect, isn't it? I mean, any time you watch, like, New Adventures of Superman, when he's wearing, like, a T-shirt, trainers and jeans, he jumps off a building. When he lands, he's got full swashbuckle of boots. Yeah, but that's mental like, Superman. This is, I mean, this is supposed to be vaguely in the realms of reality. Really? I think we long ago established that it was. The wasn't. Force, Jubax, 
So like, once again, was, just 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 go with just, it, yeah. Just stop thinking. <laughs> Three men that absolutely must be credited here are Ralph McQuarrie, Ben Burt, and of course John Williams. Ralph McQuarrie was responsible for all the concept art behind the original trilogy. The scenery, ships, and many of the costumes and props came out of his head after George fed him the descriptions and let him run wild. If you've ever seen, like, sort of early Star Wars concept stuff, that was him. All that sort of, like, the bug-eyed Chewbacca and the, you know, all, all of the early X-Wing stuff. And basically, Star Wars got its personality from him. He cannot be marginalized in this. Mm. It's, it's one of the reasons why the prequels were so bland. Because they sort of, they riffed on Macquarie, but nothing had the sort of, that sort of imagination that he, he displayed. They were standing on his shoulders for this one. He has unfortunately in later life become afflicted with Parkinson's disease, as I think I mentioned before, and, and so is thus unable to draw. It's one of the cruelest and, and, and most ironic kind of punishments for someone who's specifically gone through their whole life being most talented with their hands. Yeah. Absolutely, I'd like, and it is like the, the visual look of the the Star Wars one. I mean, Christ, like you know, the the the, the spaceships mm. are almost you know just as much characters as the as the actors. You know, like mm. a, if you show a Star Destroyer or a, a Millennium Falcon, people recognise it more so than they would say C three PO or Chewbacca, arguably, depending on who you ask. In tribute to Ralph McQuarrie, I've actually put his art on the front cover of this one. That uh, picture of Vader with the stormtroopers, that was all him. He originally theorised that uh, uh, Vader was going to have to be able to breathe in space to go between spaceships, hence all the breathing apparatus. And hence the greatest sound effect ever. Which was made by Ben Burt. Behind the sound effects, every blaster shot, every lightsaber swing and bleep from R2 was his creation. In fact, R2 was him. I think he also worked on Wall-E. So he is the greatest man in the world for making a robot sound like it's a robot. He is brilliant. And And has personality. He has this whole like, um, philosophy of like we're trying to make it sound real, so sounds that are real, not just all fancy like what's it there? The Star Trek transporter effect that's just to make it sound all magical and stuff. Yeah. Here they were actually trying to make it sound gritty and real, and even yeah, like to go back to Ralph's work, you know, like they're, they're trying to make the universe look used and everything, and mm. and it's not all shiny new. And I think that's what is that's key to the original trilogy's charm mm. i've only seen the, the redone version but battlestar galactica mm. the idea that's this low-tech gritty realistic universe rather than this oh look it's shiny and it's futuristic and it's lovely do you know who did the concept art for the original battlestar galactica john then ralph was it ralph Hey. He designed the Vipers and all of those uh, starships. Yeah, they, they, that is a show that clearly that the, the original version with the uh, original boxy Cylons were. They were like, right, Star Wars are doing big bucks. We got to do that, but on TV. And they were clearly aping and chasing Star Wars. And it wasn't until the Redux that they actually managed to succeed and indeed, I think, surpass Star Wars, even the original trilogy. Yeah, I, I love me some Star Galactica. Yeah, I love it. Really? Yep, I'm that guy. It tailed off towards the end, but it was good. I mean, like, you know, the, to go back to Star Wars, like, you know, the prequels just didn't have it. The prequels might have been more imaginative, might have been more what we class as futuristic, like, but the one that always winds me up is the Nubian ships. Oh, oh Nubian, yes. Ah, oh, Nubian, yes. That's they really good. Horribly, horribly shiny. shiny and smooth. And have you noticed in the prequels as well, there is no dirt anywhere there's no dirt yeah nothing is dirty i was looking at the millennium falcon's corridors it's all scuffed up it's like hands knocked his boots on every single corridor panel exactly it's it's brilliant and that that's the dirt is the key to making a believable universe it really is it's not that if you look at the at the engines at the ships everything 
They're dirty because they're used. They feel used. They feel lived in. When it's CG, they don't feel like that. So regarding Ben Burt, his actual sound effects uh, style and his Foley work, it reminds me very much of the uh, creation on the Lord of the Rings. And he'd, he'd do things like uh, go to, you know, I think he, he went into some air raid tunnels to record specifically echoing blaster bolts and things like that. Yeah. And he'd sneak in. It's kind of like outlaw sound design. And he's, he's, a, he's a genius. And I think of everyone who actually worked on the original Star Wars, if you listen to the commentary, Carrie Fisher's doing her, yeah, well, they kind of squeezed me into my costume and then they put tape on my, uh, my breasts and I had to lose a lot of weight for the part. And, you know, George is just waffling on about how he, you know. George sounds bored with his stuff. George sounds bored all the time. Yeah. Dennis Muren's there, and he's also he's kind of interesting, but the one who really sparkles and shines is Ben Burt. If you listen to his voice, he has got all of his marbles still very much there and intact, and he is a fucking genius in the the way that he's actually able to, to bring stuff to life. Just watch any sequence in any of the Star Wars films for five minutes without sound, and you'll realize how lifeless the experience is. It actually goes to prove that how important sound design is, especially mm. in this type of movie. How do you know what a lightsaber? The lightsaber sound effect is fantastic mm. and unique. He found it out by accident. He, he put his microphone near to a, uh, it was a broken microphone near to a, uh, a speaker and it started going. And he's like, ooh, that's neat. And it's like none of the sounds, you, you, don't, you just don't even question them. Particularly like the lightsaber, you just. As soon as it comes on, he's like, yep, yep that's, that's exactly how that sounds. It's almost as if, or even the first time you see it, you hear it, it's almost as if you've heard it before. I would have been three when I saw Star Wars. <laughs> the other thing you'll be missing, uh, if you listen to it without sound, are three of the greatest movie scores of all time, courtesy of Mr. John Williams. He was chosen for a more classical operatic feel rather than the futuristic keyboards which are cropping up in sci-fi everywhere. In consequence, his music stands up there undying alongside the greatest of classical composers in a way that the work of Vince DiCola does not. Sorry, Vince. I, I'm a massive, massive John Williams fan. I have Empire, Attack of the uh, Clones, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, all of those on on CD mm-hmm. and on my iPod. I listen to them regularly. I was listening to them on the on the way back here, you know. I listened to the uh, Star Wars album twice today while making these notes. Nice. It's just it's so it, it's incredible. He he has this amazing ability to not only create like um create music that's, that's it's got bombast, it's exciting, it's got pace. It's majestic, so it's got an almost class about it. And every theme, you can instantly... The more you listen to his stuff, you can instantly identify everything that is meant... Even if you listen, you know what is on screen. Mm. So you've got the Force theme. You know something you know, to do with the Force is happening. You've got... Um, in this one, you've got this weird Empire theme. Yeah, you, you know something evil is happening. Obviously, please edit in the actual music so I don't sound like a twat. No, that's fine. Um, but the <laughs> scores progressed. As the can stop that now. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
You bastard. <laughs> as, as the you know, as as the films progressed, you know, obviously like, you know, Empire and Jedi were and even more so and then like the prequels were still I mean the prequels the score is the redeeming thing of the, mm. you know, of one of the redeeming things of the prequels for all of the mistakes made on the actual Jewel of the Fates had me convinced that Phantom Menace was good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um it's just and you know, Across the Stars had me enjoying the love scenes. No, I, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> it would take... I mean, if there was a fight scene, then that would have been all... Uh, but no. <laughs> you see, I mean, like, you can hear it in all these scores. Like, what, I, I'd almost argue, like, you know, Star Wars are amazing. They're incredible. But for me, they're second only to John Williams' work on the Indiana Jones trilogy, oh. where simple little things like... Um, have you got the five DVD set? Sorry, the, the five CD set. I don't. I've got. I've got. I've got the the full complete versions of Raiders, Temple, and um, Last Crusade, which are, as far as I'm aware, the only Indiana Jones films. <laughs> um, and in, like, in in Crusade, like there's um monkeys at the, at the start when there's um oh god no Shia LaBeouf in Crusade at the start there's Aliens. um a uh, part where fucking hell. Interdimensional beings, in point of fact. They've gone to <laughs> space between the spaces. Fuck off! <laughs> Sorry. Nuke the fridge. I was going to say fridge. I was going to wait for James to start speaking again. You've got to time it better. <laughs> wait, wait. Just let, let him start speaking. Can I go? Have you got anything left? Go. Spaceship. Magnets. <laughs> <laughs> As we said, I'm loving these um these Gonzo game. The bit that you pointed out at the end of episode one, where the Emperor's theme is the exact same as the celebration theme. I loved that because I had not noticed that. The, the one it reminded me of is, and I can't remember if I worked this out or someone had pointed it out to me, but the Across the Stars theme tune, the love theme from episode two, mm-hmm. is the Star Wars main theme played slightly differently. Mm. Yes. It's exactly the same as... Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. If there had been more like that, the darker side of the exactly. original trilogy music... Then that that would have made for some much more interesting um, scores. For that. I mean, they're still very good. They're very accomplished. For the they're very good scores, but I, they I, don't match up. I, I maintain. I maintain that that um, John Williams is one of, if not the driving force behind the Star Wars films. But I wouldn't. Mind, I, I might come back to that next week on the Empire Show. The characters in this are so iconic that I remember reading something about you know that you know a character will live forever if you can see a silhouette of them and you know who they are. Most of the main characters in this, if you saw a silhouette of them, you'd go, I see Thupia, that's Darth Vader, that's R2-D2, that's Han Solo. Specifically, if it's in a specific pose, you'll yeah, know yeah. Han Solo. Princess Leia with the buns, straight away. Easy. Easy. Stormtroopers. So Easy. many immediately identifiable characters. And again, I'm going to put that back down to Ralph McQuarrie, because uh, the, he worked with shapes that hadn't been on screen before. It's a same, it, yeah. it, also, it all ties into the fact this is, as complicated as this series is, it's a simple movie. Mm. And it works so well because it is so simple. Mm. 
The exhaust shaft is only two meters wide, so you'll have to use proton torpedoes. Well, that's impossible, even for a computer. It's not impossible. I used to bullseye womp rats in my T-16 back home. They're not much bigger than two meters. Hey, uh, can I, can I, can I talk to you privately for a second? Sure. That, 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 uh, that was, that was unnecessary. What's the problem? Well, you, you just kind of called me out in front of everybody back there. I, mean, I was what, just making a point. I know, I know, but you, like, just kind of sandbagged me oh, in front of everyone we know. sandbagged you? In front of all of our friends, yeah, you sandbagged I me. I sandbagged you. You sandbagged me, well, yes. Well, here I am trying to help you, you, you with know what, something you know what, that... You know what, I don't need your kind of help, all right? Have a great assault, jerk. <laughs> Another notion worth considering is how much the world of video games was propelled into the stratosphere by these films. If for some reason Lucas had shot a trilogy of westerns or rom-coms, the world of games and movies would have been very different. The influences that propelled us into the technological evolution we experienced in the 80s would have to have come from somewhere else, maybe James Cameron or Steven Spielberg. As it was, the impact of the following three titles can almost be exclusively attributed to the space craze that Star Wars brought with it. 1978. Space Invaders, 1979, Asteroids, 1980, Defender. And with Atari's Star Wars cabinet in 1983, we had a very decent movie tie-in. More on games in a later episode, but seriously, consider how much we owe this trilogy. Now, here's the tricky part for me. I love Star Wars as a concept and as a trilogy. I love Star Wars. But of the three films, A New Hope is actually, for me, the weakest it sets up the world fantastically, painting vivid pictures in broad brushstrokes with dialogue that even toddlers can understand, which makes it a very strong beginning, but it's not a match for its follow-ups. It is the Hobbit to The Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the, Hobbit yeah. was, the Hobbit was um, a children's story. It was very much a, here's some adventures. It doesn't matter why they're on this adventure. It's just an adventure for you to sit back, enjoy Go on an adventure, learn about these characters, learn about the world. Learn it's about just, the force. Um, it's, it's just a children's story, and it's, yeah, it's, it's quite, you know, not mundane. I'm trying to, it's simple. It's simple, it's accessible. Mm. And then it, and it's, it's the entry point into that larger world, that more complicated storyline. Taking your first steps into a, yeah. Exactly. You are taking your first steps into a larger world. It's, as, as a middle movie, I mean, the whole point of it was that there's a purity to it. Lucas originally intended it was like, right, you're joining and the action's already started. All of this sort of setting the stuff up, that's boring. I don't want to film those. <laughs> uh, but you basically, you go, you go in episode four and it's like the roller coaster's already moving. And it, it, it's great. As an actual film... If you watch it all the way through, it, it kind of doesn't really work after episode three. You've got all this drama, and then it gets all fun. And then it goes back to drama again for Empire. It's, like, it's, yeah. it's a great kind of break, and it's you know a brilliant is- world setter. But it, as a sort of to, a film to follow, Revenge of the Sith, you actually want something made by J.J. Abrams again. Yeah. I was going to say, do you know what makes this movie really good? No fucking politics. Yeah, they just go, the Senate has been dissolved. Right, moving on. Let's get to some action. Yeah. And that's the, that, that even, that's the only level of politics you need in a film like that. Because otherwise you're just confusing people and boring people and annoying people. We don't need to know. Yeah, exactly. I love the, I love the fact as well that it is essentially, and I'm, sure, you know, I'm not going to take credit for this, George has basically said this, it's your typical fairy story, but set in space. You've got your princess that needs rescuing, your Death Star's your evil castle... And Christ, you know, Owen Lars refers to um, Ben Kenobi as an old wizard. 
it is your typical fantasy mm. fairy tale. It would be like doing, I don't know, The Hobbit in space. The, in, the Hobbit in space or Space Hobbit. Space <laughs> Hobbit or Wild West Hobbit or something or you know Hello. something like that. Yeah, like it, it, Wild West Hobbit. <laughs> Wild West Hobbit. Why not? What are you talking about? Red Dead Hobbit. Hobbit. But my point is, it's just it's taking conventions from stories that a general story convention that we all know, we are all familiar with, we all relate to, and puts it into a different setting, and instantly in doing that becomes original, and because becomes something that no one has ever done. Last week, I actually said it was my second favourite, but at the time, I hadn't watched it for a while, and I was still reeling from how much Jedi felt like the prequels at the time. But Jedi is still stronger as a flawed closer than Star Wars is today as an opener, now that we know the world. Empire and Jedi deal with more complex themes, the acting and dialogue are a lot sharper, the editing and music are even better, and the effects are absolutely, unarguably superior. Nevertheless, A New Hope is excellent and charming and constantly rewatchable, more appealing to a wider group and doubtless will live on when everyone has swept the prequels into the same Room 101 as the Ralph Bakshi and Rankin Bass animated Lord of the Rings efforts. It's like the first time you ever had really great sex, always perfect in your head, but when you think on, you've had much better since then, and much worse. Speak for yourself, I'm still waiting. (laughs) (laughs) Go for Papa Palpatine. You have a collect call from... Darth Vader. Ugh, I, I gotta take this, hold on. Vader, how's my favorite Sith? Whoa, 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 just slow down. Huh? What do you mean they blew up the Death Star? F- oh, f- f- Who's they? What the hell is an aluminum falcon? Okay, okay, so, so who's left? Are you me? Or where are you? Wait a sec, you've been flying around for two weeks trying to get a signal? Oh, you must smell like feet wrapped in leathery burnt bacon. Oh, 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 I'm, I'm sorry, I thought my Dark Lord of the Sith could protect a small thermal exhaust port that's only two meters wide. That thing wasn't even fully paid off yet. What? Oh, oh, just rebuild it? Oh, that a real, real f***ing original. And who's gonna give me a loan, jackhole? You? You got an ATM on that torso light bright? Now get your seven-foot-two asthmatic ass back here, or I'm gonna tell everyone what a whiny bitch you were about Patamame or Panda Bear or whatever the hell her name is. Oh, jeez, he's crying. <laughs> Hey, 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 come on, come on, don't do that. Just, just, uh, look, I, you know, I'm just dealing with a lot of crap right now. Death Star blown up by a bunch of f***ing teenagers, you know, I didn't mean to snap. Uh, 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 ju- just get back here. Okay, okay, bye. I, yeah, I, I love you too. ceremony when they're sort of walking down and they get all their medals and everything and Luke smiles and Hans smiles and Hans buttoned up his shirt which looks really weird Yeah, Chewie doesn't get a medal thank you I wanted to point this out this is the last thing in my notes why does he not get a menu menu medal (laughs) just say that again I wanted to point this out as well yeah this is the last thing in my notes why doesn't he get a medal (laughs) I can't say it (laughs) for fuck's sake third time third time's a charm 
I wanted to point this out as well. This is the last Magnets. thing in my notes. Why doesn't Chewie get a medal? Because he does uh, just as much work, if not more, than Han and Luke. I, there's no explanation for it. I, I think that the uh, rebel, the rebels are just a little bit racist. I think so. Yeah. I just don't think there was anyone tall enough to put a medal on him. That's, that's you just have hung burn. it from his belt. That's a real burn. I mean, he's up there, but it's just as if to say, look, no medal for you. That's a real burn as well. If you think that R2-D2 got a medal or got commemorated in episode one for being a droid and doing his job that he's programmed to do. And would you chewing... thank a spanner? Yeah, exactly. Why would you think you wouldn't thank a spanner, but you don't thank the fucking grizzly who ripped off a few arms to get you out of the Death Star. Yeah. Would you really thank a magnet? <laughs> I hate you both. I really hate you both. So we'll be back for The Empire Strikes Back next week. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Neil Taylor. I've been James Batchelor. And may the force be with you. your foul stench as soon as I was brought on board. Um, actually, that's me. I made a Darth duty. I sithed my pants. My diaper's gone over to the dark side. I got pages of these. I could go on.